cracking, everybody? Get ready to be utterly entranced by another episode of Critical Mess. And this is the podcast where three hombres in the ad business talk about movies that critics and audiences do not agree on. You are strapped in for episode nine. I am Nick Honeywell. I'm here with a couple other guys. One's named Grizz Griswold, otherwise known as Andrew. The other one is Mr. Brian McCullough. We've also got producer Ben here tonight. Gentlemen, what's up? Say what's up to our listeners. Hey, this is Brian McCullough here, and you know I'm going to do it. My number six favorite movie of all time, Terminator 2. Stone Cold Classic. Chris? That's a fantastic film. Can't can't deny that. So, all right, guys, the um, icebreaker for tonight. Here we go. Who is your favorite character actor? And I would just like to point out that the last film we talked about had quite a lot of them. We had Steve Buscemi. Uh, we had Udo Kier. We had William Fitchner. We had uh, Keith David, um, and and maybe even one or one or two more. Favorite character, and I can start if you guys please, please, please start. I'll please start, start. Yeah, if you guys mm. guys need to think about this one for a second. So, uh, I'm going to go with uh, Luis Guzman. Uh, I just watched Count of Monte Cristo. I really, really, really enjoy that movie. Probably a little too much, even though it is a fucking stupid movie, and I understand that. But it, it's just a lot of fun. Uh, Carlito's Way. Uh, he's in what else? Boogie Nights. Um, Waiting. I really like Waiting. Uh, I know it's that not everyone loves that movie. Um, I, I do. He's in Magnolia. He's in Beverly Hills Chihuahua. He is a beast. So um, I'm going Luis Guzman. Man, you know, I, I feel like I would 20 years ago, I would have said Matthew McConaughey, but then he became like a legit like leading man. Uh, so I think just, ah, man, uh, off the top of my head, I'm going to go John Turturro. I, again, I think he's a g- great actor, but he tends to be a character actor, and um, or at least he started out that way. I mean, and, and the Coen brothers use him to that effect in several of their movies. So I'll I'll I'll, I'll hang I'll pencil in John Turturro. Man, that's such a, that's a good one. So I I had to go back and look, but Joe Pesci maybe. I mean, I know he was oh, in yeah. a lot of yeah, big that's films, a great one. That's like a he, great answer. He places himself into a lot of films. I'm changing my answer to Joe Pesci. <laughs> yeah, um, I think he's coming in. He's coming back for a few films here soon. Somebody just put him in something that I was excited about. I can't remember who it was, but Sweet. seeing his name in the news is always exciting. Oh, in so. the Irishman, he was he was a force. Yeah, he was probably the best part of that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, tonight we are talking about a Cameron Crowe directed movie. It's a, um, it's weird, it's messy, it's an, it's an odd piece of film, in many's opinion, um, but also, according to many other people, audiences in particular, it's a, it's a film with some merit. So, um, the film in question is Vanilla Sky, which is definitely uh, a bit of a genre bender, probably falls somewhere between sci-fi and, and thriller. Came out in 2001, in terms of who's in it, we've got Tom Cruise, we've got Penelope Cruise, we've got... Cameron Diaz. Wait, wait, we've got, who? <laughs> sorry, that's how I say that name. Is that not right? <laughs> how did he wait? Who? <laughs> yeah, Penelope Cruz. Penelope. Yeah. All right. Yeah, cousin of Cantaloupe. Uh huh. Uh huh. Second um, cousin. Yeah. We've got Cameron Diaz. We've got Jason Lee. Uh, we got Kurt Russell, the great Kurt Russell. Uh, Noah Taylor, also of note in this movie. This this movie cost sixty eight million dollars to put together. It took home a respectable two hundred and three million worldwide at the box office, and I think it was around a hundred million in the U.S. Um, in terms of how it's rated on Rotten Tomatoes, it is a fairly stinky forty three percent with critics and a fairly respectable seventy two percent with audiences. So, I, one thing I, before we just kind of um, jump into this thing, I, I, I want to point out is that. Vanilla Sky has kind of an unusual distinction of being nominated for awards that are both good and bad. 
which is, you know, that would be an interesting list of movies to put together. Um, Because, you know, you've got kind of famous bad awards like the Razzies, you know, being kind of the the main one, I would say, but there are others. Uh, But that kind of just goes to show how polarizing this movie was. It was nominated for one Oscar. That was for Best Original Song. Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney, that's right. Uh, Two Golden Globes as well. Uh, Cameron Diaz got a nomination for Best Supporting Actress. Wow. Uh, She didn't win. What? She did not win. She did not win. Uh, but also the the Paul McCartney song, uh, also called Vanilla Sky. Cameron Diaz was also nominated for a Screen Actors Guild Award that she did not win. But this movie was nominated for a... A lot of wins all around. Yeah, right. And that's the thing. It won nothing, <laughs> okay. good or bad. Uh, but it was nominated for a Golden Raspberry Award uh, for Penelope, also as Worst Actress. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, Penelope. Okay. Anyway, uh, let's... Let, Let's get into it here, gentlemen. So um, I think the first thing we usually do is we talk about the, the first time we, we saw the film and, and what our exposure was to the, to the movie um, and, and how many times we've, we've seen it uh, over the years. So uh, I'll ask you guys, uh, when did you first see this movie and how many times have you seen it subsequently? Uh, last week was the first time I'd seen this film. I had known about it. I'd seen scenes from it here and there over the years, but I'd never actually sat down and watched it. So last week was the first time I'd seen it. It's uh, coincidentally, we were doing a podcast on it, so it's a good thing you happened to watch it. Exactly. Yeah. What a coincidence. <laughs> uh, I saw it when it first came out 20 years ago with uh, my college buddies. Uh, we all watched it, loved it. I mean, yeah, I lived with a band. So, you know, we were, they, we were, they, oh, Jeff Buckley, you know, Radiohead, you know, all, the, all that stuff. And um, very much I, I connect very distinct memories to that time in life. Anytime I think of this movie or see any imagery from Vanilla Sky, it takes me right back to you know the days when I turned 21 and just like party lifestyle and all that um and then I maybe watched it once or twice then and 20 years later watched it yesterday I think you and I have like basically the exact same story and we were talking yeah, about, talk that about that a little bit earlier you know this this movie really does feel like a very specific time and place and as we've said of a, a couple other films that we've we've talked about on this podcast feels very of the time in a lot of ways and I think the music is a big part of that because there is um there's a lot of really good music and, and, and really interesting music in this movie, but a lot of it was kind of popular music at that time. So, you know, that, that, kind, of, that kind of brings you back. Um, okay, so, so I, um, I think we need to, to rate this film now. And um, I, would, I would love to hear what, what you two uh, would give this out of 100 because um, I, I'm a, I, I think we're going to have a discrepancy here. So let's see. I really hope so. Go. Uh, Brian's score... Is a 77 out of 100. And that surprises me more than either of you. That actually shocks me big time. So I'm, I'm impressed. And I will back that up tonight. So my wife actually loves this movie. We didn't get to watch it together, but she told me how like she just really enjoyed it when she first watched it back, back in like probably high school or late middle school or something like that. So I was right middle of the road, 61. So not, I mean, I was intrigued, but it was kind of awkward at the same time. So I think it kept my attention, but some of the acting was just real, real rough for me. So, yeah. So we are pretty spread out here because I'm going 37. Oh my uh, God. Wow. I, I didn't, you know, I didn't completely like completely abhor it, but I thought it was pretty bad and I didn't enjoy it. And I liked it a lot less than I thought I was going to. Um, I want to remind everybody you're listening to Critical Mess. We are talking about Vanilla Sky. We are sponsored tonight by Woodford Reserve. Mm-mm, Woodford, we love it. Rye whiskey. 
rye whiskey, yes. We've also got about half a bottle of sponsored Basil Hayden's, um, so we'll see. We'll see if we make a dent in that as well, but a dual sponsor tonight. Delicious. So. Delicious indeed. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about, gents, uh, why the critics and the audiences don't agree on this movie, and I think they're are a lot of reasons for that, but um, let's let's just, I'm going to kick it to you guys. Why, you know, off the bat, do we not agree? Well, you know, I don't know who writes these little Rotten Tomatoes uh, critic synopses. Um, I've, I've always, I've often, often wondered that because how do you, in one sentence, sum up what 174 critics think? And whoever does that, that's a, that's a tall order. So I don't know if, if you guys have ever thought about that. It's it, it's usually pretty impressive and usually very thoughtful and well written. Yeah, it's good copywriting. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So so I'll read that. Um, I'll read what 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 this one says for Vanilla Sky. I actually haven't read this yet. It says an ambitious mix of genres. So it's kind of like what you said, a mix of genres. There, Vanilla Sky collapses into an incoherent jumble. Cruz's performance lacks depth. Hmm. And it's hard to feel sympathy for his narcissistic character. Okay, so right there we're getting some confusing, maybe maybe erratic, maybe maybe bad structure. Um, they don't like Tom Cruise's performance. That's a head scratcher for me because he carried this movie. Um, and, really, you thought so? Oh, absolutely. Oh, uh, especially especially up against Penelope Cruz, Penelope and, Cruz and Cameron yeah. Crow. I mean, Cameron Diaz. Um, my goodness. And Jason Lee, okay, can we just real quick? Jason Lee was wasted in what this movie. What the hell movie. happened to that guy? I don't know, but he, and I don't mean he was wasted drunk. I mean, he could have been a really good side character and he was terrible. I think the acting across the board was pretty rough, Tom Cruise included. He needs, he, Jason Lee needs lessons on how to act drunk. Have you ever seen somebody less needs, drunk acting drunk? He just needs lessons on how to act Okay, period. well, yeah, He's sure. Kind of a shitty actor. But so I'm so that's why I'm saying Tom Cruise because Tom Cruise to to me, Tom Cruise was very intriguing, you know the way that he was dealing with things and he's kind of oddball sometimes how he kind of does his little weird dances and his weird kind of outbursts. I don't know he, he to me he carried it and he was pretty complex. He was he was deep. So I'm I'm gonna disagree with that right there. But um, yeah, critics it seems like that's the synopsis there. And why don't we just read one, one or two real quick and then Grizz you can kind of maybe weigh in on why you think critics didn't like it. Um, first one here from Vadim Rizov, Filmmaker Magazine. If the star and director are kind of worrying about the same middle-aged fall-off, Crow's specific fears are more compelling to me and responsible for what intellectually is the movie's most fascinating idea. I don't know what the hell I just read. I don't didn't understand a word of it. Let's go to the next one. Stephen Silver, Tilt Magazine. Doesn't make any more sense now than it did in 2001. So again, we have doesn't make sense, incoherent, Structure? Do you want to speak to that at all? Yeah, I, I think the only note that I had from the critic scores was they all seemed like they had an issue with the third act or the last half where it started to get sci-fi complex and none of that was mentioned anywhere in the first half of the film. So I think that might have been where they just kind of fell off the rails or where their scores just plummeted. I would love to see what their scores were at the halfway point or the midpoint before any of that stuff 
kind of happened towards the end. But well, can I can I just say really quickly? I thought like the first 15, 20 minutes of this movie was by far the best part of this movie. I really actually kind of enjoyed that yeah. part, kind of a lot. I was having very, a lot of fun. Anyway, sorry. First yeah, 15 very minutes much. and last fifteen minutes were the best parts of this movie. I, I agree with that. I agree with that. The middle part was just. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would strongly agree. The beginning was very good. Uh, I thought the whole first half, I was I was intrigued by the characters, like what they were doing. Why was he in jail? Why was he being interviewed? Why do you have like the ma- all these things? And then it just started to completely unravel, and you had more questions toward the end. And then it kind of somewhat made sense at the end. I had to look up a few things, but well, I wanna, we're going to talk about the yeah. end because it's interesting. Cameron Crowe had some things to say about the end, and I we're we're going to discuss those here okay. in a little bit. So, I guess my quick reaction to you know why the separation between uh, you know criti- critics and audiences is. I mean, I think one pretty simple reason is that people just really like Tom Cruise. <laughs> you know, he's just a he's a likable actor to a lot of people. A lot of people hate Tom Cruise too, but generally speaking, um, you know, and I and I think at that time he was maybe, you know, he he was pretty beloved at that time, and he's still pretty beloved today. I mean, let's be serious. I, I find with Tom Cruise that you'll talk to people and they'll hate Tom Cruise, but they'll still watch his movies. Yeah, and a yeah. lot of other people in real life that people hate, they won't watch their movies. There's something about Tom Cruise that even the people who hate him will still watch his movies. Yeah, there's yeah, there's he's just a pure entertainer, like to the purest form. I mean, it's incredible how he has stuck with it for all these years, and people still pay in droves to go see him in movies. It's yeah. nuts. He, even he, after he his movies. meltdown, Tom Cruise is yeah. movies. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think another reason uh, audiences really like this movie was the music. We talked about that a little bit already. It has a really good soundtrack, um, a lot of just really atmospheric and, and emotional music that really drives the the film along. I think critics did not like this movie. Um, I think one reason is, is just, and Grizz, you touched on it a little bit, but I, I think the storytelling was, I think it was just bad storytelling. And I know that's, that's just my opinion. I think you can, you could argue that the other way, but I thought it was just very unclear um, and just sort of nebulous storytelling, uh, especially uh, as the movie progressed, it just got just more and more incoherent. And I get that. It's like a dream. And I understand that a lot of that was intentional, uh, but I, I, I didn't like it. And I can see why critics um, wouldn't, wouldn't have liked that either. So do you, do you think at all that Vanilla Sky came out of the era where it was it was very common and kind of the hip thing to do stuff like Requiem for a Dream type stuff, surrealistic, you know, uh, you had The Matrix a little bit yeah, beforehand. Matrix, a couple years before, yeah. Yeah. Like Charlie Kaufman uh, a- adapta- movie. Ad- ad- uh, no, uh, John Malkovich being John Malkovich. Yeah, that one. John Malkovich? Yeah. Bitch? Yeah. And Mi- Eternal, Mia Jovovich? Uh, Eternal Sunshine. <laughs> Eternal also Sunshine. Was kind of bad around yep. That yep. Um, and then, you know, you got Lynch uh, was really big in the 90s. So yep. d- and this was 2001. So this was like, or maybe 2000. So do you guys think at all that this was like a kind of jumping on the sort of surrealistic is it a dream surrealism of the Lynchian era, I'd say? It's zeitgeisty. Okay, perfect word. It Do you think it was just the turn of millennia and like the whole 2000, Y2K, the whole thing just kind of came to a brunt in that time frame that people just wrote to that at the end of in 98, 99? Yeah. Was it zeitgeisty to a fault? Because uh, th- I'm hearing that's maybe what you're saying is like it was forced sort of surrealistic. Yeah, I mean, I think you could kind of argue both way, either way on what that. What dreams may come? I mean, another yeah, one. it was a yeah. Robin Williams. That era right? was yeah. really big in those type of movies. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, that's an interesting observation. Yeah. So Brian, this is particularly for you. This is one thing we must address. I think it's, it's this is pretty crucial to to talk about. You had said uh, I don't remember if it was last podcast or 
or a couple of podcasts ago. It was two ago, and I know exactly what you're about to say, and it blew my mind when I first started, when I first played this movie. I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, so what are the chances? You know, so, yeah. Well, I'm so, pretty sure I know what so you're going to say. So, our, so our, our listener might not know what this is, so let, let's, I'll, I'll, still, I'll still say it. What, what this is, is Brian had told um, us that he does not do remakes. And this oh, th- film... You're not going where I thought you were going. Oh, oh okay, really? Yeah, no. Oh, okay. Okay, well, we've got a couple things to talk about yeah, here, I do. guess. Uh, well, okay, well, let's talk about this then. You told us you don't do remakes. We have done a remake. Was that... Um, and now, I, I would say, you may not have known this was a remake because it wasn't kind of like a... It wasn't like Psycho, you know, yeah, Psycho yeah. remake or something, which, if you haven't seen with Vince Vaughn, is an absolute treat. It's one of the worst movies Anne that's H. ever yeah, been. I've yeah, seen it's, that. it's unbelievable. Um, worth watching, though, for sure. I mean, the original Psycho is perfect. Why do you remake it? Yeah. Anyway, I, that's, a, that's a weird I know you're one. Going, you're, uh, I, um, open your eyes with, with Penelope Cruz three years prior. Right, right. And it's a pretty, from what I have not seen it, I but either. from what I have read, it's, a, it's, a, it's definitely a remake. It's not really a reinterpretation. Here's what I'll say about that. Let me caveat, I don't do remakes, okay? And, you know, sometimes I just say, sometimes I run my mouth, guys, okay? I'll say, a, just, sure, a, we'll I'll say a, just a very sweeping we have statement, a podcast. and then I've got, like, exceptions to my rule, right? Well, when I, what I was getting at there was, I don't do remakes that are remade, like, the Disney movies are remaking these movies that have the exact same audience that they had before, and they have a built-in audience, and they're just there to make money, right? I read up on this movie. Number one, the first time I saw it, I had no idea that it was a remake. Number two, it was a remake from a foreign language film that was not released in this market. Okay, so it has a different audience. It's sort of, hey, here's, here's a great movie. I want, to t- I want to not necessarily retell it, but from what I've heard, it's so- sort of made as like a companion almost to Open Your Eyes. Um, and I think Cameron Crowe said he had more that he wanted to say and not just re-say it. So there's a slight caveat, but I will also admit to being a hypocrite. Yeah, but yeah, and I yeah, I just I just wanted to address that briefly, and I think you did it very tactfully. Um, and your, your we did response. it. We made Brian. So, but but now I'm really intrigued. Oh, I, I admit it. <laughs> I'm really intrigued though. What what did you think I was going to bring up there? Well, I thought you were going to bring up because at the very end of our Twilight episode, I, my very last thought was that the movie ends with Radiohead. Radiohead. I, I was going to say oh, we've got the Radiohead. Yeah. And at the very say. big start of this right. movie, yeah. and I had just finished listening to that podcast, and then I went to watch Vanilla Sky, and it starts with a banger from Radiohead, and I was like, oh shit, what yeah. are the chances? Immediately noted that when I started the yeah. movie so what a great song everything in this right place it matches the tone uh it's it's a it, it just everything about the musically and lyrically just sets this movie off for me so i want to just let everybody know they're listening to critical mess we are talking about 2001's vanilla sky and we are sipping on wood for reserve and love and life uh i want to move on here to um to themes, thematics. We always like to to address, you know, what we thought were the the, the overarching themes of the film. Um, I'll I'll toss it to either one of you guys, whoever wants to take it. What what was the big theme here, and um, was it a good theme? Was it an effective theme? Uh, did it work? I mean, it was really on the nose. They literally said the theme. Matter of fact, they couldn't. They could have titled this movie "Sweet and Sour." I mean, they said they. It was a little too on the nose. Um, I don't know how many times they said it in the movie, but you know, you can't, you, the sweet's not so sweet without the sour. And it's like, okay, okay. You're sh- you've been showing us that you don't need to keep saying it. They had a character say it a few times. More yeah. than one character. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so I think the movie was, tr- was, is telling us that's one of the main themes. Grizz, do you, do you, I mean, do you agree? Yeah, I think I agree with that. Um, I don't know. I'm really bad with like catching on to the theme of this, but 
his character arc is just exactly what that is. I mean, it's the definition of sweet and sour. Like, it is the, the, I mean, he just went through the full journey, I guess. I mean, I don't know if it was as coherent as I thought it would be, but, I mean, they speak to it the entire film. So. That was the strongest part of the movie was yeah. his character arc. And, and I think, uh, Nick, I will say, um, we haven't talked about this yet, I think, there's a lot. There's a reason that I rated this movie 77 and not 97 because this is the type of movie that I seek after. This is this is you know Matrix, my my love of Matrix. You know, there's the, the type of movie that sort of is an allegory, sort of makes you think, make makes you want to rewatch it. Inception, those type of movies. I love those movies, and this falls into that realm for me. What what took away from it though was just a lot of like practical acting, dialogue, stuff like that. But what what made me love it was the theme, the theme and the character arc. The theme is the biggest part of this movie. And it's really about like, is it, I mean, what, what a poignant question is it? W- w- if you could live in a fake reality where you could be, where you could do anything you want and have con- full control and be happy, would you choose that over actually being alive in a world that's shitty? And that's literally what the matrix is about. And that's also what this movie's about because that's the question he has to answer at the very end and then he makes his decision. Did we say spoilers? Spoilers. Spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we might not have said spoilers. <laughs> we might not have. It's, it's been out for 22 years, guys. Yeah. I mean, come on. Spoilers. But um, yeah, when he, when he chooses to jump, you know, he's saying, you know, I know that I could live here. You could restart the lucid dream. Every, you could fix the glitches because everything was starting to glitch more and more and more. It, it's why the movie started to kind of feel like it went off the rails, but I think that was intentional. Uh, they said, hey, we can re- re-get you right back where you need to be. Everything's perfect. You've got the perfect Monet vanilla sky with the girl, and everything will be right back where it is. And he says, no, he chooses to wake up. Um, and that, to me, that's the main theme. One other sub-theme I'll, I'll talk about is that they, it really explores the idea of how one thing can change the course of your life drastically, like sort of the butterfly effect type deal. And I actually have a problem with that because I don't think that's how the world works. I think that the makers of this film are trying to say that's how the world works potentially. And I disagree with that, but it doesn't matter if I agree or disagree with that. That being a theme is a strong one. That's, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. I, I hadn't really thought of that, that thought of that one. Uh, I have a little bit of a different spin um, on the theme. I think we're in the same neighborhood. Um, I think the theme to me was kind of uh, the pursuit of happiness and everything that entails and maybe how difficult happiness can be to achieve when you're focused on the wrong things, I guess. And, you know, so just as an example of that, you know, David is not, um, uh, close to his family. Right. I mean, I know his parents are dead, but he doesn't have any other family that he's, he's really close to. And he's a, he's a total shithead to his one friend. I mean, good Lord. Steals his girl. uh, Steals his girl. uh, Right after he tells him that she might be the one. What a asshole. And a what great a friend, friend to just let him do it. Yeah, he needs to let, let yes. him do it. Let him do it. Just let him do it. Um, but it's just interesting that you know, despite having, uh, you know, all the money and the you know the the hottest women in the world, you know, he, he's just not very happy and he just kind of lacks purpose. So I think it, the movie is trying to say something profound about the pursuit of happiness. Um, does it work that well? I I don't know. It didn't land for me all that much, but I I see what they were trying to do. Okay, you know, I, I, I said we were going to talk about this a few minutes ago, and we may as well just get into it, because I think it's pretty interesting, and I, I think it'll spur some interesting conversation. But um, So the, the end. Let's just talk about the end of this movie a little bit. So uh, according to some 
um, Cameron Crowe commentary, there are sort of five different interpretations of the ending of this film. And to me, one of them is by far the most interesting and I hope is the right one. Um, I don't think it is the right one uh, just because of how the, the story played out. But I thought if, if, the, if the movie would have leaned into this one a little bit more, I think it would have been a better movie. I'm interested to hear because I read these five and one of them I resonated very strongly with. So I, I, why don't you, interesting. Why don't you interesting. Say right, them and then tell me here. which one. The first one is that tech support is um, telling the truth in the film, right? And it's it's pretty much, the, the film is kind of as presented. You know, 150 years have gone by since David killed himself. And, you know, everything that happened after the club scene is a lucid dream kind of gone awry. And tech support's literally the name of the character who yep. he talks to in the bar. That's, yep. that's his Yeah, yeah, the guy that name. keeps showing up. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah that's right. Uh, Noah Taylor. He's oh, that's Noah Taylor. Okay, that is, cool. that is that is Noah. I Taylor. thought maybe that was like a young uh, Ben Mendelsohn for a second. That kind of looks <laughs> a little a like a call. Man, yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout out Ben Mendelsohn. Yeah, Heck yeah, boss. I love him. Um, okay, second interpretation of the ending, according to Cameron Crowe, the entire film is a dream, and here is kind of the Easter egg that points to that. Um, very early in the film, I believe it's in the Times Square scene, which, by the way, was a super fucking cool scene awesome i mean that alone gave, how, bumped it up about five points seriously I, I agree yeah. how do how do you do that so what cool. are logistics and they did and they did it they, they did really it. did it that they was shut not cgi down. it was a sunday morning yeah. super early they shut down Times square apparently. and they apparently rehearsed it a bunch with tom cruise so they would know exactly what to do because they had very limited time they had very I, limited were time, you looking yeah. in the background to see if you could see like somebody 100%, in a window yeah. i 100 percent was and i did not see anything <laughs> i didn't either i didn't see a car driving nope. in the deep deep background nothing at all respect for that yeah for sure um but anyways the the, the easter egg being um there that there is a a sticker on David's car that has the date of two thirty oh one, and obviously you know February thirtieth is not a not a real day. I hate to shoot you down, but but um it was revealed that that was just a, a production mistake. Oh, is that true? Yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. fair enough. All right, we'll but Cameron, but if Cameron Crowe said it, Cam that's directly let, from the director's mouth. So that yeah, that is that is what Wikipedia told me. That was in his uh, Ferrari, right? Was that the Ferrari or the Stang? That I think was it was the, the Ferrari. So that Ferrari, was the thing that yeah. confused me the most. Was that I, so I only once I've watched it once, and so going back, I remember weirdly. If it's all a dream, then I just remember the like weird things like the car changed randomly. Yeah. So was that well, I was can't a Ferrari remember. at first when there's no one when he's there's the no only one in the, the city, and, and then, then it his pops real up car wah, is the Mustang. Wah, it's a fucking amazing yeah. Mustang. It's like yeah. really? my dream car. Of that course. that yeah. car wasn't good enough. You had to dream about a better. Anyway, yeah. we're we're getting off off topic. But yeah, it was in the sticker is two thirty oh one in the in the sticker, and I did hear that that was a production mistake. Interesting, but interesting. Okay, keep going. Number three. Number three, the events after the crash. Um, are a dream that David had while he's in the coma. So it's, you know, not induced by, uh, what, life extension, right? Is that mm -hmm. to recall? Um, but he just, you know, is in this coma and he just dreams it all. Number four is the one that I hope is right. Okay. Um, because I think it's by far the most interesting interpretation of the ending. And and I, I do wish that they lean into this just a little bit more with maybe an Easter egg or two. And that is the idea that the entire film... Uh, is the plot of the book that Brian is writing. Brian's writing, yeah. That, I think, is a really cool idea. Uh, I don't think they did quite enough to make me think that's what it was, but I really just like that thought. 
Can I can I offer something? Sure. Doesn't he say he's from Ohio? And then he's like, you're not from Ohio. And he's like, yeah, I'm not from Ohio. And then doesn't uh, another character, doesn't Kurt, Kurt Russell, Russell does. say he's from Ohio? Correct. Can we somehow use that? Grizz, make yeah. that be something. Oh, gosh, that's interesting. <laughs> I didn't really think about his friend writing the book and that being connected to the story at all. But that's, br- that's that would the, be brilliant. That's the first thing that jumps to my mind to be said. Because that, that, that but was did, a little bit jarring when he first says that. It wasn't until the halfway point where things started to get messy, where stories started to tie into other people's Store like his therapist, and then um, if I'm ah, I can't remember, there was maybe somebody else that came into the room that's like said something that connected to this back to the story, but there were a lot of those little moments that I kind of go back. But that's after the halfway point, that's after it becomes a weird dream, like you know, the sky is weird in a few scenes. That, well, that, that's to, yeah. what that what that is is that's after he wakes up from that, cl- like he gets drunk in the right. club, yes, and he, and he lay and he wakes up in the gutter, and then yep. the, the literally you see the vanilla sky, exactly. Can, can we talk about something really quickly about that? Um, speaking of Vanilla Sky, how do we feel about films that mention the title of film in the film? You have to do it the right way. Did this film do it the right way? I, I think it did. It pulled it from the actual piece of artwork, I I'm, think. I'm not sold. I'm not sold. I'm not usually a big Forced fan it a of it. Bit. It just depends on what the movie is. Now, if it's now if it's something like The Matrix, I, I, I hate to always reference The Matrix. Forgive me, okay? But The Matrix, they say The Take Matrix all the time yeah. in the in the in the movie, and it's that's different. different. That's it's such different. A practical part of right. the film, but you don't hear the words vanilla and sky next to each other ever. So to hear somebody say it, and you know you're watching the name of that movie, I, I don't prefer it. Yeah, I didn't like it either. I love that that's the name of the movie, but I don't think he should have said it. That's a good. That's a good question. I like that question. I want to think of the worst offender. So let's keep talking, but I'm going to think of a movie a out there. List to put together. Yeah, movies that say the name of the movie. Yeah, yeah. We, we should work on that. Uh, we'll get an intern to do that. Uh, so the Thanks, ben. <laughs> no, no, Ben, ben is, is not our ben intern. Ben is the opposite <laughs> of an intern. Ben is our esteemed producer. Ben's our boss. So we are, yes, Bullshit. No, he's on not, the opposite he end of the, be doing that. He's on the opposite end of the spectrum of, of an right. intern. Okay, the fifth one. The fifth one's pretty similar to the third one, and and that's just the idea that the kind of the entire movie after the crash is a just a total hallucination that is caused by the drugs that David gets when he gets his crazy reconstructive surgery. So those are you know three and five overlap a lot. Uh, so I guess you know, is it the straight answer? Is it number one? Do do we feel good about that? Um, you know, I yeah, reactions to the to the five possible different endings i mean i had re- i had read all five of those and number four was the most compelling it was the one i wanted it to be and i love charlie kaufman and it, that felt like a charlie kaufman script um and but alas i think it's the first one just just how the, the movie's structured and i think because of how they intercut between him being interrogated by the psychologist early on about the murder because of how they're intercutting that, when that happens, I think that points to the first option. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is the most plausible, and it, that makes the most sense to me, having just watched it freshly and for the first time. Um, that makes the most sense. That seems like that's how they made it out to be. And I don't think they're... I mean, yes, the the writing book from a friend makes... I mean, that's fun as hell, um, but I think that was what they meant to do, so... And I'll also add this. I It really rubs me the wrong way that a director would make a piece of art and then literally list five ways to interpret it. That, that take, it's like, no, 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 Thank no, no. Thank you for pointing that, that out. That is yeah. what fans should do. I wish Thank you would have told you. me Tom Cruise or some or a fan said those because if the director did that, that tells me either A, he didn't know what the fuck he was doing, which I don't, I don't respect that, or number two, he's not, he didn't do it artistically enough. Like you would never get David Lynch 
listing five ways you can interpret one of his films. Fuck no. Yeah, yeah. I'm. Thank you for pointing that out because I was going to point that out. Okay. I, I think that was a. a did, so that, where did he say that? Did he write it in a blog or a letter to the New York Times or what was that too? Just a Wikipedia article, bro. I just did minimal research, man. Okay. I just <laughs> half read half ass internet up. research. Yeah. yeah okay. just, just, no, yeah. but that's but that's fact. I I, I, I fact check that. I mean, that's. I mean, I, I'll back that up because I I did read that, and that's not just a hearsay thing. That's him either being in, in an interview or on a commentary to a, a DVD or something. I can't remember. So you're listening to Critical Mess. We are talking Vanilla Sky. We are sponsored very kindly by Woodford Reserve. And Basil Hayden's still a sponsor tonight. And I want to talk a little bit now about um, flipping the script. So, um, and I feel like I haven't shit on this movie enough for my 37. So no I, I will, I will fl- do that. Let's flip it, but then we'll flip it right back. Yeah, we'll, we'll flip it right back and I will, I will, I will start shitting. Um, so, <laughs> so let's let's talk about you know Brian. You gave it a pretty high rating. Um, you know why don't you kick it off here? What what did you not like about this movie? The dialogue was fucking terrible. Um, I hate Jerry Maguire. Um, that movie I loved it when I first saw it because I was like fifteen and I thought, oh, here's a cool movie. No, 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 it does not hold up. Uh, there's nothing unspoken. It's glib. It's trite. I don't know the. I'm not a wordsmith like you, Nick. But um, but I just I just feel like it's very unnatural. And the in the where it was really happening for me was when he was, um, talking to Julie after they had sex and in there in his bedroom and he's like kind of trying to leave for the day and the 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 way she's talking and the way he's talking and then later when he when he meets Penelope Cruz and uh, what's her Sophia and the way that they're talking like the dialogue it's so unnatural and it just takes me way out of it. Um, and I thought I was going to hate it about at the 30% mark at this movie. I'm thinking, no, nope, this movie didn't hold up. It's been 20 years. My taste has, has matured in 20 years and this movie sucks. But then the themes are what brought me back. Um, I thought I was going to hate it because of the dialogue and because of the acting. Um, and then what other, there was one other thing I feel like that, that really did it for me. Um, now that that's that, that was the the biggest offender for me, and it was bad. Yeah, I'm shocked. Your score is very high. I thought it was going to be probably right around where mine was. Um, I was hoping we'd finish our glasses tonight, but uh, I think the I don't know this. It felt of the time. Now that I look back at 2001, uh, I'm sure it was very shocking in 2001. But like, I wasn't super thrilled with it. I wasn't like super impressed. It was incredibly bad dialogue. I mean, I could not stand the acting across the board, including Tom Cruise. Um, I thought it was just super cringeworthy, like the how he acted like this rich piece of shit the entire film, and he kind of wished he washed back and forth like he was learning something and then didn't, but at the, at the very end, he finally did. Um, but... Uh, yeah, it's tough. I think the acting was the thing that took I, it out. And I want to caveat it a little bit, and I agree with you, but I, I also want to say there are some really, really good sequences and really good acting dialogue in this movie. It's not terrible the whole way through. It's specifically those scenes I mentioned. It's anything Jason Lee says. And Cameron Diaz is just not very strong. I don't like Penelope Cruz that much. Um, but I will say, like, and I know I'm flipping the script, but I just want to make sure I, I add in that like the, that scene in the car where she's she turns crazy and he's reacting to it, and and she's going off the rails. That's a really, really good scene. Great acting, high tension, stakes are raising. Um, and then, you know, the entire back half when he's dealing with what's going on, that's when it's good. But yeah. I know we're flipping the script. I would script, agree with so. that, yeah. I think I would. I mean, I thought the the better scenes were, yeah, I think Cameron just being a crazy bitch in that car scene definitely was probably the best scene of the entire film. Um, and I would, I would almost say hers her acting was maybe better than 
Cruz, but Cruz just felt cringy in this entire thing. Which, and he was which, hyped. Which Cruz? Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. Um, but yeah, that's so hard to think that she was the best of that, but she was just, her, she played crazy bitch like really well. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Agreed. So yeah, I, I also thought the dialogue was bad, but I actually thought there were a couple of nice pieces of dialogue in this movie that I'm going to going to point out quickly, and then I'll point out a bigger reason um, that I added a few points to this film. Um, so uh, the bartender, remember when Tom Cruise calls him a bitch? Yeah. Right. And then he gives him the free drink, and he says it's free. And he's like, yeah, it just is, bitch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I that's like such that. a good line. I love that bartender. I wish I wish he was the bartender at my bar, my local neighborhood bar. Um, I also kind of liked the line. I thought it was kind of a profound line from Cameron Diaz when she was going, um, you know, full full wacko. Uh, when she was like, "When you sleep with someone, your body makes a promise whether you <laughs> do or not, whether you do or not." Right? What's I the was next? Like, that's some shit a crazy, crazy, crazy person would say. What's the next thing she says, Nick? Why don't you I don't, I don't, quote what, that verbatim? What's the next line? Uh, oh, I was just yeah, trying to get I, you that to line. Say. Oh, I remember that line. Yeah. <laughs> we're not we're not going to so this is for our for our PG-13 audience. Yeah, tonight. yeah, yeah, sure. So, anyways. Dang, Cameron Diaz though, uh, Diaz as as you guys have said, plays kind of the the crazy um crazy hot chick really really well to a T. Um okay, so I'll say the bigger thing that I thought was was good about this movie and I'm not going to lie to you guys. I was going to give this movie something like in the 20s last night after I watched it. And I sat with it for a few minutes and I thought that was going to be a little harsh because I, I just, you know, as you can tell, I really did not enjoy the two and a half hours it took to, to slog through this movie. If this movie was 45 minutes. It probably would have been pretty fucking good. But anyways, um, I had a kind of a strong uh, emotional response to this movie. It made me feel something. Right, it made me feel something, and I jacked up the score a good seven or eight points, just probably based on that. Um, and it wasn't a good feeling. It was a, it was a really, and I understand this is a personal thing, but it was a, it was a weirdly but kind of uncomfortably nostalgic feeling. But it was also kind of this feeling of sort of just like hopelessness and just, you know, nihilism, right? And um, and it kind of and it kind of wrenches your gut a little bit. This movie does, uh, especially in that last scene. You know, kind of you know when he's he's jumping off the building in the flashback, and and he's got that. And the final the final conversation um, with Penelope, I thought was like the probably the best dialogue in the movie. Um, there was there was a really great line. Um, I'm frozen and you're dead and I love you. That was a really good line. I will. I. I. That, that one got me a little bit. Um. And and so, anyways. So the movie made me feel something. It wasn't a pleasant something, but I think that it's usually the mark of a good film is it leaves you feeling um some sort of way. So. I. I totally agree. I. I can't stand when I walk away from a movie and I have no emotional response to it. I'd rather have a terrible emotional response to a movie. Because at, at least, least then, it was something. At least then you have something to discuss yeah. afterwards. You know what I mean? I, I love movies it, that make me feel. And I agree with you. This movie, it, the, it's the intangibles. And I don't yeah. know if it's the music or what. But yeah, you're right. This movie, it's it's visceral. It wasn't like, I wouldn't say it was clever, but it was engaging. Like I, the whole way through, I was intrigued by everything that was happening. It kind of, it, it went pretty quick. Like every scene was fast paced after the halfway point, especially. Um, so that's what kind of kept me interested in the story to see, okay, what the hell is going to happen next? Like, car crash and like the hemming and the you know the jumpsuit inside the psychiatrist like that right at the start of the film you're like all right now what the fuck did he do and you're like all right waiting for that moment to see why he's there and what well what is behind his face or behind his mask is he still fucked up does he have a perfect face did that actually happen all those things yeah. like you're you're curious about everything 
So Yeah, they do a good job with making you yes. want to know what's going to happen. Yeah. Nick, I want to get your take on this. Producer Ben and I were talking earlier. In another world, Vanilla Sky stars Christian Bale and is directed by David Lynch. Do you like that movie? I think it's a much better movie, and I think we also flip Penelope and Cameron Diaz in their roles. Ooh. Would you recast either of them? No, absolutely not. Okay, I think them. I think okay. Penelope could play like a, a crazy kind of Latina, like with the, kind of those big, dark, deep eyes. You know, she could she could really go ham, and I feel like Cameron Diaz could could kind of play the the quirky, cool, hot, amazing, perfect chick as she has done many times before. Yeah, and I honestly think that might have made the movie better. So yes, what you said plus what I said, I think makes a movie that's in like the '60s. Cool, cool. I would strongly yeah. agree with that. Yeah. Dang, yeah. Uh, Cameron Diaz, I think, which is this peak Cameron Diaz? Yeah. Like, was it early 2000s? And then she kind of went off. I was going to make a joke that, you know how this movie, that one of the themes is like one thing can drastically change the course of everything. I was going to make a joke that uh, Cameron Diaz not winning be- her actress award, award led to her quitting Hollywood. Yeah, and fully retiring. Hot take. Yeah. 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 Maybe true. Had she Maybe won true. for this movie, would she be an A-lister in Hollywood right now. Yeah, she's doing just fine. Yeah. Yeah, but she but she's not in Hollywood anymore. And maybe that's a good thing. I'm not saying like she might she probably has a fulfilling life now and she probably has some brand like and makes Cameron a bunch Diaz of money. Cameron Diaz damn near might be like a cool person. She just seems yeah, like she seems might like be like it. a nice person. Like I've seen a couple interviews with her and stuff. She just seems kind of grounded and cool. Could be totally wrong. She plays the hot crazy chick super super well, maybe a little too well. Uh but, you know, yeah. I've never seen her in a role where I've really liked her. Yeah, she's not a great actress, yeah. but she's fun. She's fun. Yeah. I would like that Shrek money. Come on. Just live off of that. Shrek's great. <laughs> Shrek's great, but it's because of Shrek and Donkey and John Lithgow and, you know, the, the, I mean, and she's fine in it, you know. But. So I think I want to talk a little bit about just big overarching reasons just because I think I need to. About so we've, just, we, we're done flipping the script. We're done flipping we're the flipping script it right, right now. We are flipping it okay. right back. And, and I think, you know, Brian, you in particular, um, I, I just, I think this is kind of one of those situations where we agree that the movie is doing the same thing and you like it and I don't, <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't, cause I don't think we're disagreeing. It's not like you're saying the, the dialogue was terrible and I'm saying it's great. Or it's not like you're yeah. saying the theme is this and I'm saying it's that we're saying, we're talking about the movie the same way, but I liked it and you didn't. Yeah. And which is interesting. And so, well, and let me give you kind of the big reason. So or, I, I, I think first of all, this movie was very bloated. It was two and a half hours long, and ninety minutes would have been much better. Agreed. I would not have guessed two and a half hours. Agreed. Yeah, it was it was a little under two and a half, but it was right. Yeah, I guess right I did split there. this film one night to the next. I forgot about that, so I watched the first half, and then it I just all ramped up the next night. So, I also felt like in a lot of spots, despite being this you know kind of big budget um, you know Hollywood film, it would just felt sloppy. And I think I and I mean and I think Cameron Crowe's directing to me just kind of feels. I, Maybe not sloppy might not be the right word, but amateurish, I think, is the the right word. Um, a lot of times it almost borderline felt like a TV show, like in some way, the way he's filmed certain things. I, I'd say especially like kind of the flashback stuff, which were, there was a fair bit of in this movie. It just didn't feel like big cinema. It felt like, you know, like I said, kind of amateurish. Um, and I think that's more of a problem I have with with the director than maybe the, the particular film. Um as I said earlier, I think just the storytelling was incoherent. Uh, and, you know, we've talked about how that was kind of on purpose. It's like a dream. I get that. Uh, I didn't like it, though. 
um, no matter how purposeful it was. And as we've also already, I think, covered kind of ad nauseum, the dialogue was pretty bad. It was pretty bad. And despite a couple of, of gems in there, um, you know, 80% of this movie uh, had some really shit dialogue and some pretty, um, to me, um, uninteresting characters. Like it kind of made me a little bit sick how hard they were trying to make uh, Penelope just the perfect fucking girl. Like, did you notice how she like, every time she like walked into a room, she like did a little spin, you know? It was like, you know, she was just, she was so quirky and perfect. And I was just like, I just threw up in my mouth a little bit every time <laughs> she popped on screen. And I think she she rubbed me the wrong way. That was definitely a big part of it. I think Cameron Diaz was the best part of this movie. Uh, I think she did a, a decent job. Um, but, you know, and, and also Tom Cruise, you know, God love him. I'm not, I don't really love or hate Tom Cruise, but I felt this, this movie was not that interesting in terms of his performance. I felt it was Tom Cruise in real life with a little bit of extra id, right? I, I, I think it was him kind of playing himself like he does in a lot of films, to be fair, but I just, I just don't find it super interesting. Tom Rich or Tom Cruise playing the kind of rich, uh, playboy, you know, kind of um, just prancing around New York City. I mean, I just, that's just not much of a stretch for me. Brian so. McKay from eFilmCritic.com. These guys are not only vanilla, but a bit too familiar. Tom Cruise once again plays himself playing a character. Mm. Yeah. I there you have it. There you have it. Yeah. So, anyways, I just needed to needed to get that out. So, those are kind of the big reasons I didn't, didn't like this movie. I found a few things to like, obviously, but, um, you know, yeah. Wasn't my favorite. I mean, so let's go. Like, so it's funny that you talk about him, his character arc, but he decides to go back to the real world at the end. Okay. He stops the lucid dreaming 160 years later. Yeah. 150. Yeah. I mean, so is he frozen in time? Did he age? Obviously not. So he's got to go back to what a busted face, most likely. And being a billionaire? Well, no, I mean they said they could fix him. It's 150 years later. Oh, so that's right. Okay. Advancements would mean. So what's he going to do? Go back face. to being a billionaire and just? Well, no. They also said they to him, "Your finances are not going to be." That's left the oh, okay. I that's totally the missed that arc. line. That's okay. the character. Okay, I did not right. see that. Okay, he I just chooses. He 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 comes full okay. circle. Yep. Okay. Because well, okay. because because remember what, the very beginning of the movie shows his perfect life. I mean, he's got that oh the pristine apartment. TV. Yeah. He's got the one gray hair. I mean, every it's like everything's perfect. He's rich. He's got it all. He's got he's got the the guitar you know busted in the like everything about his life is is to be admired, and and he you can tell he values that and he wants the best girl and the best this and that, and um and so then at the very end for him to be told look you can go right back to that and literally like live a perfect life to 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 discard that for reality even if it's going to be not ideal that's a very strong character arc and that's what you call the the uh the i, I think that would be the the semi suite yeah. where the character yeah, yeah. gets gets what they need not what they want i just thought it was like he's going to one life versus one that he can not control versus one he can't control that that was mm -hmm. the only thing that right. i thought was happening i forgot about the i didn't catch the and that's what i think thing. although it's kind of messy and jumbled up mess i think the movie does a really good job at taking you through that journey by by taking you through the turmoil that he's going through to get so, him there so can i i I think you're right. I think there is a pretty powerful uh, arc in this in this movie. However, I guess my rebuttal to that would be and another reason I really didn't like this movie. And I think the Rotten Tomatoes kind of synopsis um, touched on this, Brian. But the the idea that you know Tom Cruise's character he really is just like this unsympathetic narcissist. Like I don't care what happens to him really because he's just kind of a shithead. And you know, fuck him. You know, it really wasn't until that very last scene that you gave a shit. Even then, th while you're watching the film, you're not. 
So I don't yeah, know. Yeah, and that was arguably like I, I think yeah. I said earlier, that was one of the very high points of the film was yeah. that that last scene. And on you're top just of watching it slowly unravel. Like sure there were huge spikes, there's all these things that have happened, but it's I mean it went from pristine, he plucking the one gray hair in the mirror to going to his day all the way through to the train wreck of the back and forth, not knowing who he's dating or who he's having sex with, all that stuff. Yeah, just, I, I didn't like him either. I think a, a better movie where he's a piece of shit, but you care about him is War of the Worlds. He's a bad father. Agree with he's kind of yeah. selfish. Oh, yeah. He's kind of rough around the edges, but man, he's he, much more you love relatable. Him. He's Very a lot likable. more relatable. Yeah. And this movie, no one can relate to That's I guess that's another part of it. No one can relate to this uh, fucking character. I think that comes down to the writing. Millionaire playboy in yeah. the middle of New York City that runs a publishing company. Like what? Three people can relate yeah. to that on Earth. I think that comes down to the writing because we've already talked about some bad direction and now there's a little bit of bad writing, I think, there. Yeah. So I, I agree with you. I think, I think it does hurt that we don't care about him. Yep. Okay, gents, let's move on here to our, our horribly titled rapid fire section of the podcast. I'm going to call this call this also um, observational section of the, the podcast. I've got some too. Um, so yeah, I'm just going to, yeah, we're just going to throw out some random uh, thoughts and observations and, and, and react to them here. So uh, I, I'll, I'll get the party started here. So, you know, Kurt Russell's in this movie, right? And for one, I think Kurt Russell is better than this, but um, more importantly, here's my rapid fire question to you guys. Is he on Jeff Bridges' level? Absolutely. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I'd agree with that. So the tippy top tier of of great Hollywood actors. Kurt Russell has been in the top tier from fucking backdraft all the way to the hateful eight and beyond. Um, he aged very well. He came right into that. It, it's funny that a lot of actors have trouble. DiCaprio is going to be interesting to watch in the next 10 to 20 years if he's still acting by that point. If he's going to transition from that child actor to the mid-tier actor to the adult actor like he is. So those guys, I think, kind of jumped straight to the old man, big beard, like, you know, gravitas kind of age. And they went into it perfectly. And do you guys equate those two? I guess oh, yeah. I should point that out, too, because I always yeah. think of those when two When I was guys. a kid, I thought they were the same. I, I, saw I, the, I saw the cover for Blown Away when I was like a young teenager. And I was like, oh, cool. Michael Douglas is in that. And it wasn't him. And I was like, who's Jeff Kurt Bridges? Douglas. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Kurt Kurt. Kurt, uh, by the way, have they why ever, did I just say Michael Douglas? What they, the well, because they got the same last name. Has oh, okay. has uh, has there have they ever really? been in a movie together? Have Jeff Bridges and Kurt Douglas ever been in a movie together? Wait, Kurt Douglas? No. Oh, holy <laughs> shit! What the fuck is wrong with my brain? Thank Kurt you to our Russell. sponsor, Woodford Reserve. <laughs> I was like, we're keeping I'm me on off. point tonight. Okay, Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell, not Michael Douglas, not Michael Douglas, Kurt Russell and Jeff Bridges. Kurt Russell I mixed up when I was a kid. Just, Escape yes. from New York. Yes. Kurt Russell. But I will Russell say, I Bridges. will say, I I really do connect both of those guys in in my head. They're both top tier actors. I love them in everything they do, and they've been at the top of their game for multi decades. Agree. Yeah. And Kurt Russell was was very under. I just watched Backdraft like last week. Great, great, great movie. So, and and then to watch him in this, I'm like, man, Kurt Russell was kind of wasted in this. You know, he he didn't. He was kind of wasted. Although I enjoyed much. him. I well, enjoyed sure, when yeah. he was on screen. And in fact, in the very that was one of my favorite parts of the movie. In the very end, when he kind of became self aware, and he was just like, fuck. What, what are your he's kids' like, name? What are your right? kids' names? And he's like, <laughs> yeah, that was a cool scene. He completely gave up. I, I that was that was a good scene, and he was he was a high point in this movie. I felt like that was just the the simulation falling apart. Like he didn't know how to answer questions outside of the formulaic mm-hmm. kind of thing. It was it was very cool. I needed but, more of that. Yeah. Rapid fire, rapid fire, rapid fire. Kirk Douglas. I told you it's the worst titled <laughs> section. Kirk Douglas. Damn it! What the fuck? All right, we're gonna keep moving on here. Um, did you guys notice 
there was a cameo early on in this film by a very famous Steven Hollywood Spielberg. director. Did we notice this? Chris? I did not catch this. Wearing the hat right before Steven we got Spielberg. Does he always yeah. wear a hat like that, or was that like oh, a definitely. caricature? That's his. That's okay. his look. Um, but I think even more notable than the fact that it was Steven Spielberg that was kind of at this party scene, this birthday party uh, for Tom Cruise's character, uh, the more notable part was his line. Do we remember what his line was? Son of a bitch. He said son of a bitch, right? He did. So, so happy birthday, you son of a bitch, or something like that? He said, he not only said happy birthday, you son of a bitch. Ooh, I got a good memory. Wait, Spielberg said that? Uh-huh. Oh my God. He did. He, 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 he kind of saunters on screen and gives him a kind of a hug and says, happy birthday, you son of a bitch. Happy birthday, baby. <laughs> oh, he said happy birthday, baby, after that? He did. I feel like that was him, him ad-libbing. He, did, he probably did. And actually, you know, it's funny. I, I, I rewatched that like five times. And if you watch it really <laughs> closely, it looks like they definitely dubbed in that line. Like, it, it looks very unnatural. Like, his mouth is not moving the he, right he way. He does say you son of a bitch, though. He absolutely does. It's just the second line that he might not say. Okay. Yeah. Right. Well, n- well, I'm not sure. I, I don't know. Just w- w- maybe do a quick rewatch. It's very awkward if you actually kind of look the at the thinking. The only semi cameo I had was a 26 year old Michael Shannon. Michael Shannon, the, oh, my the, favorite the guard. underrated actor of all time. Yeah, he's my, my, oh, I love it. Oh, and you Michael know who Shannon. else? Um, damn it, I'm not going to remember his name, but the guy from Big Bang Theory, uh, uh, Jonathan. Uh, what's his name? Oh, he he's like he's, he's the like the coordinator. He's guy. the assistant. Yeah, yeah. He's the he's the, on the nerd. tip of my tongue. He's not, he's the one with the glasses. Kind of squinty. Something, something. Yeah, oh we all gosh. know who you're talking about. I can't about. think of his name. He's he's actually a pretty good actor, though. And he, he was like kind of a famous child actor. And he... Yeah. Johnny Galecki? Yes. Yeah, Thank okay. You. Yep. Thank yeah. you. He had yeah. like the headset on. He was like the, the event guy. Okay. Rapid fire. Here we go. Uh, line of dialogue. I can tell by the way you're walking, you didn't sleep with her. What's the sex walk versus the non-sex walk? I wonder if it was just a swagger. Because <laughs> I thought about that too. Like you're waiting for him to walk awkwardly? To yeah. Know, yeah. So I thought, well, maybe they're going at it. I gave him the, the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they're just saying you don't have like that swagger that you have after you've had sex. I don't think it was like a mechanical issue. But I feel like, didn't he have some <laughs> <laughs> That's that's near and dear but to my heart there recently. Swagger though, I feel like he walked out of there just a, a beam of sunshine. So maybe she, maybe it was a, a, a referring to mechanical issues. Maybe was. Yeah, maybe a little too yeah too much on the right step or the yeah. Wasn't there something in like me myself and Irene when he's like tries to go to the bathroom and she, it's like he, like there's something something weird about how he had sex the night before and, and he was, pissed all over the wall. Yeah, yeah. I never got, fully understood that. I don't know. There's something we're not picking up on. Let's just leave it there. Okay, we got to talk for a second about the kind of the sex smothering scene. Um, that was so awkward. The fuck? That's what was my note. The fuck. The fuck. Yeah. You're talking about the one where he kills Sophia. I am. Okay. Um, Wasn't working for me. See, uh, just an odd scene. And even the way it was filmed, like the, the, the way the sex was filmed was weird. It was amateurish and didn't work. I hate to sound like a, like a, a cougar. Or, 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 um, you know, or a teenager, but you know, I think a a good sex scene goes a long way and there are some really, really good ones out there and not in this film and not in this film. Okay. You can not in this film. Absolutely not. And I'm not saying I have to see that, but if I'm going to see it, make it, make it. They were grossly awkward. Yeah. Make it good. Yeah. yeah, Both of them in this movie were just not doing it for me. Tom Cruise got better with the sex scenes than Tomka and Maverick for sure. I think even in Jerry Maguire, there was like a bad sex scene. Like, I don't know if Cameron Crowe's ever had sex. (laughs) (laughs) Debatable. I'm sorry, Cameron Crowe. 
<laughs> that's why he called it the sex walk. Oh yeah, he, he read it. In a, he read it. Sex walk. Yeah, yeah, he read it in a book. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, just an observation. Tom Cruise screaming tech support was like me setting up my new router last weekend from Spectrum. Very nice. <laughs> Very nice. We've all been there. Yes, yes. It was a nightmare. Fuck you, Spectrum. Don't ever sponsor us. We won't take it. Um, not sponsored by Spectrum. Yeah, not sponsored by Spectrum. I got one. Speaking of alcohol, um, do you guys ever get annoyed in a movie where somebody just orders a beer or orders a whiskey and they don't say what and the bartender doesn't ask him what? Does that take you guys out of it as much as it takes me out of it? And this movie did not perpetrate that. True. In this movie... I w- it was very refreshing that he said tequila, and instead of just giving him a tequila, he goes, "What kind do you want?" Because that's the way the world works. There's a Budweiser in a tequila. If I there was, it was a Budweiser, and then he says tequila, and he says, "What kind?" He goes, "Patron," and then he's drinking Patron, and I'm like, "Thank you for actually yeah. drinking a real thing." So I don't know. I, I maybe you guys don't care about that, but I get annoyed when he's like, "Oh, four beers," and they just give them because four we beers. all know if you say beer or give me the tequila or give me the bourbon, you'll get it the lowest level you possibly can at the house, right? Well, the bartender is going to specify. Give you, I know. I'm saying, saying if you don't you. specify, you're going to get the lowest tier. No, you're going to. You might get the highest because they're mm, going to charge you no. as much as they want. No, they'll give you the house one where they make the most money. They're not going to give you the most expensive with the lowest. No, I think they're going to want that tip. I think that bartender is going to see. I could. I could give them a twenty dollar uh, <laughs> shot, and I'm going to get a, a two dollar tip, or I give them a ten dollar shot and get it. Anyway, we've we've I, kind of got. Can I just point deep. out quickly that deep. I think because of this movie and this movie did kind of make an impact at the you know we're kind of at, we were all kind of at an impressionable age. I, I know you didn't see it at that age, at but thirty five, yeah. But 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 you did, <laughs> and I think for like at least a couple years after this movie came out, like beer and a shot became kind of a oh, badass yeah. you know order at the bar. Yep. You know, it's just a way to get the party started. Um, you know, yeah, uh, shot of tequila, totally Budweiser. I mean, it's just pretty boss. You mm-hmm. come in, and that's that's what you get. That's so. still a thing. Some hipster thing. places you go, they're, they're one of their specials is, is yeah, a, 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 a tall boy PBR and a shot of something. And surely this movie didn't come up with that, but it definitely no. uh, put it put it into my mind. Okay, okay, where do we go from here? Um, I think okay, this is one thing. Quick, quick uh, discussion about this. This is another thing that kind of really pissed me off about this movie as well very very it seems like kind of a little bit of a small thing but I, there's no movie without this right and that's the the kind of idea that the the choice that Tom Cruise's character makes to get in the car with Cameron Diaz after she's acting like an absolutely insane crazy bitch yeah and he thinks about it and he's like yeah that sounds fun and he yeah, gets and he's in. just like yeah okay it's yeah, kind of on par good to me. it's, it's on right par after, with his character it's immediately after yeah. he has the greatest night of his life right he steals the girl from his best friend, and he goes and has the greatest night. And then he goes right outside and meets her. That's right, right? after that Jeff Buckley I mean, she's song plays. Literally stalking him. Yes, yeah. exactly. And she's going to murder him. Okay, like I just that was such a strange. I mean, I get what you're saying. Cruz's character was kind of whimsical and, um, you know, kind of you know just flying by the seat of his pants. But I, I mean, even the kind of an irrational dumbass would know not to get in the car with that absolutely insane woman, right? Yeah, because she was she really already was his stalker at that point. And it was point. no Ferrari or Mustang. It was <laughs> what yeah. was it? Uh, An old boat. baseless Pontiac. I don't know what it was. That's a good point. Why did he do that? And that because there's no movie without that happening. That's true. That and, that was the inciting incident for the entire thing, and it was one of the best sequences of the entire movie. Now that the scene they just now, didn't after he gets in the yeah. car. You're you're right. But you're right. That that sequence. that was not earned. That scene wasn't earned because they did not write him into that it's not like she pulled a gun on him and said get in the car which then it wouldn't have worked because then you wouldn't have seen the progression it, but yeah you're right there was no reason they didn't sh- it's not like she showed like some cleavage or something and he like 
can't resist her. You know what I mean? No, she, she acted crazy and she was crazy. Yeah, and, and then he like, gets in. He's like, yeah, that sounds great. I'm getting in. I was huh. like, yeah, yeah. She was clearly a lunatic at that yeah, point. Yeah, and then they replayed it towards the end too, as like a flash. If I if I remember correctly, but I don't remember. But I know they played it twice for sure. They played that scene specifically where he's outside the car and he makes the decision, and that's where it all turned. But like he had it all. He had the moment to change, and then he. You know, he just went back to his old ways. I think what they wanted was they wanted there to be a specific thing you can point to that said that was like, if you wouldn't have done that one thing, your life would be completely different. And they were right to try to set a scene up like that, but they didn't write it well. They did. It was unearned. They didn't. Yeah. I'm, no, it's like the perfect butterfly effect. I mean, I yeah. saw it that way, but it was the perfect butterfly effect. I feel like that was the turning point. Yeah. That, that but it didn't make sense because he just had this great night. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. That's the only part that I didn't quite add up correctly. But yeah. Good point. My last rapid fire thought was um, I really just enjoyed New York. Um, I, I, there are certain movies that I watch the movie and I think like I'll watch a James Bond movie and I instantly think of London or I, I'll watch, um, you know, the social network. And I just think of actually, I don't even know what I think of there, but you know, some movies are just tied to like places. And um, this movie really was tied to New York city and it just really celebrated it. And I enjoyed New York as the backdrop for, for, for this movie. Watch Sweet Smell of Success, man. Okay, it's the best New York movie I've ever seen. Even better than uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yes. What movie? Really? Oh boy! Wait, right, wait, 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 wait. What movie? Uh, Sweet Smell of Success. Sweet. It's like smell Tony of Curtis, Burt Lancaster. I think it's like fifty-seven. It's an old movie. It's a great movie, and I'm not going to try and act like I'm some pretentious movie asshole that watches all these movies from the fifties. I'm absolutely not. Um, someone just recommended this movie to me, and I happened to watch it. Uh, it's a great fucking movie great dialogue and it's just pure new york it's like you told me about this right before our last recording and it's on my list yeah yeah please watch it i, okay. I really think you're gonna like it I, like uh, yeah I'm, I'm not gonna keep um raving about it but i, I no just no really please it was, do because that's topical excellent. for sure okay um just kind of one more observation here i want to talk a, a little bit about and and that is kind of and and this is yet another reason i i knock this movie a lot and um that is that this to me, I guess, kind of felt like at the end of the day, a Tom Cruise vanity project, right? He is this multimillionaire, badass New York City. He's got all the hottest chicks in the world fawning over him. He just gets to act like this kind of aloof, rich doofus, you know, and it just kind of. Uh, sorry, by the way, for Cameron Diaz, uh, or to Cameron Diaz for calling you a crazy bitch. You just really did a great job in this movie, and I, I was sold. So, <laughs> yeah, it's a compliment. Yeah, it, it, was, it was a compliment. She she did a nice job in this Because i got to be honest, I kind of like a crazy bitch. Yeah, there's a little... You know? there's, there's, yeah. yeah, she didn't just play the blonde bombshell. She I mean, played a crazy-ass blonde bombshell. I mean, you yeah. know, hot, crazy, they, yeah. they, go, they go together. There's some overlap. It's, uh, peanut butter and jelly. So, anyway. Um, yeah, so... Um, I think you know we were kind of talking about oh yeah so this was this was uh, another reason um, rapid fire rapid fire thirty minute rapid fire what the fuck's going on here um, but that I kind of didn't like this movie was that this felt like a vanity project for Tom Cruise to me he is a multimillionaire playboy New York City um, you know living the dream life he's got all the hottest chicks in the world just fawning over him you know I, I just kind of felt like he he read the script and and he was just and he was in because he didn't have to do anything. And I, you know, that kind of just, just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Agree. And I'll, I'll further that and say, uh, interesting thing. I think, I think this was Tom Cruise's last dramatic, pure dramatic, uh, role that from here, from yeah. here on out. It's was Magnolia action. after this. Magnolia was before this. It was before this. Okay. Yep. 
Eyes Wide Shut was before this. Jerry Maguire? Jerry Maguire is before this. Oh, no shit. Yep. Oh, wow. Okay. Man. Yeah, those were all three before this. And Magnolia is a, a, a good movie. I've That's never probably, seen I would it. argue that is the best acting Tom Cruise has ever done is in that film. Good segue to my next question to you guys. What's the best acting that Tom Cruise has ever done? <laughs> well, I, I have given my answer. Okay, well then what's the, what is your favorite, this might be too specific of a question, but what is your favorite Tom Cruise movie that's not like a like a like an action blockbuster movie, and, and if I'm sorry if that narrows it down too much, then no, I, okay. I can retract the question. But I feel like half of his filmography is dramatic stuff, like like Rain Man, A Few Good Men, you know, like um, Far and Away, Jerry Maguire, Vanilla Sky, you know, you could even say like Cocktail, Risky Business, that, you stuff know, like and that. You just named it. I, I was gonna go with Cocktail. Okay. I like Cocktail a lot, and I actually didn't see that movie until probably five years ago Same. or something. Yeah, yeah, I've um, never seen that. And I, I just, I, it's, a, it's just a fun movie. It's a, it's a light movie. It's a, it's a, it's kind of a romantic comedy, I would say. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's, it's not that funny, I guess. I don't know, but it, it's a good, well-made, kind of thoughtful romantic movie that uh, I just, I enjoyed. Okay, yeah, I gotta go. Rain Man. I don't know. Nice. Did you mention that? Like, uh-huh. it's not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was probably his best performance because it's the perfect balance of like, he's likable. You understand what he's doing, but he has, he has a great turn in that film. So hot take far and away. Uh, Ron Howard's far and away. That is, have you seen this movie? Chris, you're typing. Are you, I don't you think searching? so. No, I'm looking at Have it you up. seen far and away? I Nick? have not. No. Wow. Okay. Um, far and away is a, is a highly rewatchable, super fun, entertaining, interesting period piece. So good. Um, I've been meaning to rewatch it. Great score by John Williams. Iconic soundtrack. Um, this was back when when Ron Howard made good movies. Uh, now he he's kind of um, d- degraded to shit uh, to to make money. But but in the '90s, Ron Howard made absolute awesome movies. I have never heard of this movie. And this is one of them. And if you've not seen Far and Away, put it next on your list uh, because it is like barely on my. I barely remember this. It is so this. good. Uh, so anyway, that would be my my uh, most favorite non action. Now, next question, just your favorite Tom Cruise movie overall. Do you have one? Oh man. And your answer in an acceptable answer is all Mission Impossible movies except number 2. I mean, all I'm, Mission Impossible, <laughs> um Top Gun I'm, Maverick for sure. I'm going I'm going Tropic Thunder. <laughs> I want fat hands. Oh, what a great I don't want to dance. Yeah. What a great role. Yeah. Yeah, unironic. He fucking just... killed it. No, I, okay. he fucking killed that. All right. Yeah. No, that that I that's that's maybe a little ironic, but I really did enjoy his his um his role in that film. I I gotta go. Um, just by a very very slight margin, I've got to go. Edge of Tomorrow. Um, or or as it's been renamed, Live Die Repeat, and that just barely edges out the original Mission Impossible for me as the best the best Tom Cruise movie. I Man. I love that movie too. By the way, it's it, it one. Falls into the imminently rewatchable category. Mission Impossible or uh, Live uh, Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow. Okay. Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I gotta go. Maverick. That seems very recent, but I that was his like strongest. Just he brought back to the entire film industry single handedly. He saved that yeah. film. A lot of ways. It's he just saved insanity. Uh, but I hold him pretty highly for that for sure. All right, gents. What what else is there to say about Vanilla Sky? We've we've covered a lot of ground. Um, you know, we we definitely differed in opinions on this one a decent amount. Um, but I think weirdly we we kind of agreed a lot 
even though... I know, isn't that weird? Yeah, yeah. It was just kind of a, it was a matter of, I guess, kind of taste and what we enjoy. Did you I guys guess. like that that last song that played when he's falling? That Sigur Ross song, that Icelandic band song. Was it a little too melodramatic for you, or did I feel like it fit pretty well? I thought it. Was, I thought the move, the music in this movie was pretty good. Yeah, and, it was I, great. and I like Sigur Ross too. And yeah, I, yeah, I kind of like. And I thought it was kind of a nice compliment to the Radiohead on the front. To end. start Radiohead, Radiohead was, was yeah. fantastic Ross, to start, yeah. but I have no idea what that last song was. Maybe it was like. I have no idea. It's called the. It's, it's well. It's it's actually the name of it. it's like very Icelandic, but it translates to the nothing song. And okay. It's on there their album that's just like 15 songs that are called untitled i don't know they're they're way out they're very there. weird and, and i as i recall they don't really even like sing a language they just kind of sing yeah. gibberish yeah and, they're very yeah. they're very um shoegaze very, very, very much yeah, like ambience. the icelandic version version of hmm. of turn of the century radiohead yeah um, kind of emotional ambient it's good it's actually yeah. kind of good stuff if you're you know yep. you need something Agreed. kind of weird to listen to yeah but final thoughts guys what 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 how do we how do we sum up this this kind of beautiful mess of a movie. I mean, I'm going to sum it up with just the theme of that poignant question. I love movies that ask a question that is a super deep question. And, you know, I've been listing kind of sort of joke, half jokingly, my, my favorite movies in order as we've done these podcasts. And for the most part, each movie asks a specific question at the kernel of, of the movie, like, you know, Groundhog Day, The Matrix. They ask these questions that we all are faced with. And and that I, I very highly value that in a movie. And Vanilla Sky asks and answers that question. And I just maybe overinflate my my rating for that. And I recognize that. But to me, that that is what this movie does, is it sets up a question and it knocks it down. And it's got some cool vibe, a little bit of cool vibe that stays with you and affects you um, atmospherically. And it definitely is not without its flaws. But uh, I would say I probably won't watch it again for another 20 years. But when I do, um, I'll, I'll enjoy it. Yeah, I think it was, I don't know, it was surreal but thought-provoking. Um, I think it's, it, it felt awkward at times, um, but I can't knock it. It was interesting enough. It kept my attention the entire way through. Um, it makes me want to go watch a few breakdown videos of like what all those five, you know, the director cuts, what he thought of the film, uh, and see what other people kind of thought of that time. So, For me, this movie was just... Um, low enjoyment i didn't really like it except for the first 15 to 20 minutes and the last five or 10 minutes um and i thought it had mediocre at best um direction and cinematography and they did some tried to you know do some cool things one thing that's kind of interesting is you know they had kind of all the the drone or maybe even at the time helicopter shots it had to have been helicopter i was thinking right. about that it was central park at the beginning uh-huh, uh-huh. The pushing we, shots to the we, apartment it's so funny how we totally take that for granted now like in 2001 that was really fucking cool they spent yeah, 10 right? times on that shot what they would what a budget would have spent on oh, it probably a hundred probably a hundred times yeah oh yeah so it just kind of sad yeah once again kind of of the time you know the things that really made this movie stand out at the time don't make it stand out today well and it shows the budget that Cameron Crowe had I mean to shut down Times Square to have those helicopter push in shots first and only time to shut down Times Square yeah it's incredible and I I, you know he didn't have to do that they didn't have to spend the the budget to do that kind of stuff and it's those little touches that I think kind of stay with you so anyway yeah keep going sorry didn't well no I mean yeah I mean and I guess the other thing you know is I probably I mean it's interesting you said I probably am not going to watch this movie again for another 20 years I don't think I'm going to watch this movie ever again unless someone really wants to watch it or something. Like I, I, I wouldn't like refuse to watch it. 
but I would never kind of of my own volition watch this movie again. And that actually kind of made me like weirdly sad and nostalgic. <laughs> Sorry, Tom. As I was watching the movie last night, I was like, this is the last this time I'm ever going to see this, this movie guy dies. jump off the building, you know, and, and jump into the real world. Like, I'm just, I'm kind of done with it, you know, and it's an experience I've had a few times now and I didn't love it. There are a few things that are notable and interesting about it, but I didn't think it was a great movie. I didn't like it that much. Um, I can see why someone would like this movie, but it's just not for me. There just wasn't much that made you want to rewatch it. I mean, I, I hate to to harp on her, but but Penelope Cruz, she is not. I don't like her, I, and that's personal taste. I get it. But if she was somebody that's way more intriguing, you know, like a like like what we mentioned earlier, Florence Pugh, somebody like that, who like I just would watch a movie just to see this person act, just because they're compelling. Or if like Jason Lee was like Philip Seymour Hoffman, or you know, just g- give me some 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 people and some things that would make me go, even if I don't like the movie, I want to see that person play that role again. There wasn't much of that here. Yeah, so. Having watched it once and only once, I don't think I'll watch it again. The most I would do would maybe watch a 10-minute you know, breakdown of the film to see what other people thought of like what their interpretation was, and that's about it. So, All right. Join us next time on Critical Mess when we will be talking about the Blair Witch Project. Ooh. Yes, we are going horror. Horror, we not finally. Horror yet. It only so took 10 are, episodes, but we got there. We are getting there. So yes, found footage. We know you remember it. We are going to have some fun with that. And one. remember, we are coming up on a, a uh, our 10th episode. So every right. five, we, we flip the script, as it were. We do a high critic, low audience. Very important point. Yes. Yes, I'm glad you noted that. So... Uh, to everyone listening out there, our, our deepest thanks for sticking with us. We are very happy you found us and hope you will keep listening. Uh, you can find us at all your local podcast dealers. We love you all. We will catch you on the flip. Later, gang. See ya.